Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services or connect with us on Facebook. Colossians chapter 1, would you stand with me? And I want to look at this word as we wrap up this series called A Thrill of Hope. And uh, hope you had a great Christmas and uh, looking forward to a a new year. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. Paul is writing to a church, uh, uh, Greek uh, influence and uh, people that are are there. Uh, Colossae is the name of the the area. Here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, which is the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glories of Christ are for you Gentiles also. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Here's what we could say and what it, what it says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ lives in you. And this is our assurance that we will share in his glory. Verse 28, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Father, I pray that you would bless this time. Thank you for your word that is living. God, I thank you that it's life-changing. Now do what only you can by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a point to all of this. I... uh, um, I want to remind you and encourage you today that there's a point to all of this. You say all of what? All of this. Not just what we do in church, but life, the purpose to why you breathe, the purpose to what you do. There is purpose behind all of this, and there is a reason, a point to all of this. Um, the Christmas carol that we've been referencing in, in this uh, O Holy Night has a line in there that says, Till he appeared and the soul felt it's worth. I want to ask today, I want to talk from that title this morning, The Soul Felt Its Worth. Do you know the worth that Jesus has over your life? Do you know the worth to which he has, he has given? That, that I want to talk about the value that hope brings and, and where there's little hope. When you know the value of what hope brings, it, it, it lets us see the purpose to it that where there's little hope, there becomes little expectation. Obviously, they, those two go together. Where you, have, where, where you have not much hope, you don't expect much. That where there's little hope, there's little expectation. And, and, and if we don't have expectation, then we have no desire to see things change and we become in a condition of just living with it. That where there's no hope, there's no expectation. We just exist. We made this statement that the essence of Christmas really is summed up in this word hope. That Jesus came that we might have hope. He came that we might have life. That if we live without hope, it's just existing. 
Life without hope is just existence. Jesus did not come that you might exist. He came that we might have life and to have life to the abundance, to the full, that we would know the purpose to which God has created us, that we would have this desire. And there becomes this trap in our world and in our culture to not see the value or to see the worth of who we are and what we do. That oftentimes we get caught up, and would you agree with me, that life can get caught up going through the motions, and when we go through the motions, we don't recognize the value or the worth of what we're doing, we just do it. And that, in essence, is existing. We don't know why we do what we do, we just do what we do, and we lose sight of the purpose for which we do it. Therefore, we just exist. Do you know the most frustrating and the most wearisome and the most tiring thing to do is to just go through the motion? To just go through a process but not realizing or even knowing what it's accomplishing, what it's for, why we're doing what we're doing. That we suffer from this aimless expectation that, we, that we're not expecting change and, and we just get caught up in this process. And what I've learned in life is this, that suffering is already a part of life. And when I live life without purpose or knowing the purpose for which life is happening, it makes all the difference. But when I know the purpose for my suffering, how many know I can suffer a lot better? If I know there's purpose behind my suffering, I can suffer a lot better. But sometimes we just suffer because we're caught going through the motions. Nothing's going to change. We just do what we do. God help us that we don't live in a place that we don't know the hope to which we have and the purpose of what we have. That we live life with this hope that drives us. When we value or when we, if you're taking notes, write this down, that, that when value is applied, purpose is identified. That when you put value to what you do, purpose is identified. was with uh, some of my family this week. My parents came in, and they've recently adopted uh, two kids, a 12-year-old and a 6-year-old. I do not have what my parents have. They are 62, 63 years old and still adopting kids. I bless the Lord for people who, who, who have the heart like my parents. And I thank God. If you're in foster care or you're in adoption and you, you provide homes, I want you to know you are doing the Lord's work and the Lord's business. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My parents have been doing the Lord's business since I was two years old of bringing kids in the home. And uh, they had uh, some of these, uh, my new brothers, I guess, they're adopted now. And uh, they were here, and one of them had a dollar, and he had to do something with it. And so we were at Target, and he knew just down the road he could recognize there was a dollar tree, and he knew he could go in there and make use of his dollar. Now, I told him, you can go in there and spend your dollar, but it's probably not going to get you much. Do you realize that if you just pay something for a dollar, the value of that, becomes lessened, and you don't expect to find too much because you realize you've not put too much value in it. How many know what I'm talking about? When you walk into a place that doesn't cost as much, you don't expect to get too much. Why? Because we've been conditioned by this life that where value is raised, there becomes purpose and identity. You're willing to pay more for something you know has purpose. I'm going to make a pastor statement. Are you ready? I grieve sometimes that when we try to pastor A church and people, they don't see the purpose of church attendance or they don't see the purpose of serving or they don't see the purpose of stepping in and therefore because they don't see the purpose, it means they've not put much value in it and if you don't put much value in it, then you really just exist and don't move forward in stepping and putting energy because when you know there's value, you'll pay the value for what has purpose. I know that just went right home and hit heart. And and I know if that tingles a little bit, I hope you'll say, bless Jesus. 
and God give us grace because if we set a course and, and I woke up this morning, the Lord gave me assignment this morning. He's making it obvious as this day goes. The Lord sent me his assignment on this last Sunday of 2019 is to set order and to set direction. Because where we allow anything to go, nothing happens. But if we don't come into a place of this is the purpose to which we're existing, we will never accomplish anything because we'll just exist in this normality of anything and always and just keep doing what we've always done without advancing anything to another place, another level. Are you willing to sit in another year, in another place, in the same condition, in the same situation, in the same atmosphere, in the same place that we've been, or in a place of saying, God, I want to step into victory, into closeness, into greater relationship, into what you've called, where we don't have value, where value is not applied, purpose is not identified, but where there is hope, it raises purpose as well that we put value on the things that we see that are filled with hope, that we see value in those things. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 3. I promise I'm not preaching today to uh, uh, set a record next, next year in 2020 to have less people come back to church. I promise that's not my, that's not my goal. But it is my goal. Man, I don't think I have to explain this, but I am careful and wanting to be careful that that when we become in a place of just tickling ears. Now, when I say that, I don't mean it ought to be all hell, brimstone, fire, and rough stuff. Trust me, I grew up under that. But I also believe there's a balance that we get so far and we just preach whatever feels good and whatever you want to do. You just do whatever and Jesus will love you through every situation. No, I just think there's a place where God is saying, no, he wants to bring us into an order and a sense of, of allowing him to be at home in us. Ephesians chapter 3, listen to what he says. And, and let me just make this point. Here's the purpose, the hope, and the reason why Jesus gave us hope is this, that Jesus might live inside of us. That's the purpose of it all. The purpose of all this, of everything in life, is that Jesus might live on the inside of us. And I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Does Jesus live in your heart? Has Jesus made his home in your heart? You see, there is this process that we live in this temporary life. And in this temporary life, we make a home for him that he might live with us in this temporary life because he's making a home for us in the eternal life that we might live with him. To get to the home that he has for us in eternity, we must build a place for him in this temporary that we build a place for him, allowing our hearts to create a home for him. Here's what Ephesians chapter 3 says. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and you will be strong. It will keep you strong. Knowing Jesus intimately and closely is the purpose of this hope to which we've been given. The, the purpose of the hope that we've been given is to know Jesus personally and intently. Hope defined means this, to have a confident expectation. That when hope is in our hearts, it's a confident expectation. It is confident patience or, or patience with confidence. That we're holding on with hope. Can I tell you what we've done though? We have not defined hope properly. In our culture, we have called hope blessing. There's a difference between blessing and hope. The hope is that Jesus would, that we would know Jesus intently and intimately and personally. That is the hope for which Jesus came. 
But what we instead, we put our hope in blessings and we associate blessings to what we're hoping for. Because here's the thing, when I come to Jesus, I'm hoping for a healthy marriage. I'm hoping for a good future. I'm hoping for good things. Those are called blessings. Those are byproducts of knowing Jesus Christ. The hope to which we're called is not to have the blessings of this life. The hope to which we're called is to have the promise of knowing Jesus intimately and closely that no matter what we walk through, we have all that we need in Christ. Whether he blesses us the way we desire or not, we still have this hope but too often we don't live for hope we live for blessings and I want to encourage you there is that he is a God of blessings but the hope to which he's given you is not that you can have his blessings the hope to which he gives you is that you can have his spirit living on the inside of you that the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives inside of you and it's not Jesus giving you what you want it's Jesus giving you what you need through the power of his spirit this is the hope but I want you to catch this. We have unfortunately devalued hope to be in the right job, the right situation, the right marriage, the right circumstances. We have brought hope to blessing. Blessing is not hope and hope is not blessing. Hope is the power of Jesus living in me and blessing is whatever God does that I don't deserve in the process of what he gives me. But I don't live for blessing. I live for the hope of knowing Jesus intimately. Did you catch that? If not, We're not the church. If the church is about the blessing and not about the hope, then we're not the church. We're built on a faulty foundation. I'm preaching this truth, y'all, and I know it is, but it's against our culture. It's against how we feel because Jesus to us is the good man in the heavens who answers every prayer and gives us every need. And if I get a bad report, he gives me a good report. If I get bad things, no, those are blessings. And he is a God who loves to bless his children. But guess what children are? Children know that their father is so good that whether he blesses them or not, they can't help but want to serve because he gave them a hope. And the hope is that he dwells inside of us. Is your relationship with Jesus deeper than the blessings of your life? Is your relationship with Jesus deeper than the blessings of your life? Or when the blessings don't come the way we hope, our relationship is not as deepened and grounded as we'd wish. Because in the last days, many will fall away. That there becomes this, why? Why is there this falling away? Because I built my life on blessing and not on hope. God wants to bless you. Don't misunderstand me. I, I, I've got one of the, I'm the blessed, most blessed person. I mean, there's no competition. I realize that. But my life is so blessed. But if God were to take anything away from me, my hope is still built. Not because of the blessings that God has given me. Because the moment I start attaching my life to those blessings is the moment my hope gets off-centered. I am blessed because God has given me all that I need. Yes, I'm blessed. I am wealthy. Y'all are going to read that right now, like how many zeros are behind? No, if you think wealth is within money you can count, I'm wealthy because I go to bed at night with the peace and the presence of God. I wake up with the confidence that whatever I face today, I know my God is before me and my God will give me victory. I'm a wealthy man. I'm a wealthy man, not because of any circumstance. The stock market does what it does, but I am blessed because the presence and the favor of God. God is good. I'm telling you, he is good to me. 
He is good to my family. He's good to this church. He's good to all of us. And there's no comparison. Those things are called blessings, but we do not live for blessing. We live because we have this hope that Christ will keep us and sustain us. How deep is your relationship with Jesus? How deep is the hope to which you have? Is your hope built upon this promise, that this, this knowing Jesus intimately? What does a relationship with Jesus look like? What, what does it look like to be marked with this kind of hope that, that our life is built deep? I know some of you are believing, believing God to do some great things. Maybe in 2020. God didn't answer it in 2019. Maybe he'll do it in 2020. But I want to say to you today, whether he does that or not, will you allow your faith, your hope to deepen and your relationship with him to know him more? Because the reason Jesus came is that he might live inside of you and I. Did you hear me? I get blessings. I get miracles. I get healings. But if you notice, signs and wonders follow those who believe, which means it becomes a byproduct of Jesus dwelling intently inside of us. If you're believing God for a miracle, my, my, my encouragement to you is not to do what you need to do to get the miracle. My encouragement to you is to get to know and fall in love with the one who does miracles. Not to get the miracle, because here's what I can promise you. The more you fall in love with him, the more you'll serve him, the more you'll connect with him, and you'll soon forget about what you need from him, and you'll just love him. And then when he blesses you, it's a blessing and not an expectation. You see, too often we don't know the blessing of God because we have turned God's blessings into expectations. Do you realize it's hard to bless someone who expects it? Think about that. We have ruined God's blessings because we've not given room for God to bless us. We have room for God to we expect from God. And therefore, because we have expectations, it's no longer blessing. Well, come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. If I give you what you expect, then I didn't bless you, I paid you. It wasn't a gift to you. I gave you what you were due. Because you expected. And now we've turned this into God, give me what I'm due. But guess what? You don't owe me anything. Y'all, I'm preaching the word. I feel the anointing, the power of God, that I believe this word is going to change the future of this church. You say, my gosh, is he so arrogant? No, I'm so confident in the word of God and the truth of God's word and what God has spoken to me, what God woke me up with this morning, what he put on my heart. I am so confident that if we will let this word seek into our heart, it will change the course of this church. It will change the course. You say, wait, we're on a bad course? No, I'm saying it will put us even more in the direction of which God wants to do and accomplish here in this county. That when we allow him to go deeper inside of us, What does it look like? What does this deepening hope look like? Here's number one. Number one is this. Hope is marked by maturity. Tell your neighbor this morning, tell him, grow up. That just helps break the tension a little bit because it's thick in here. <laughs> but I got a sword. And the sword knows how to cut through thick things. <laughs> um, hope is marked by maturity. Here's what maturity, Paul said this, that the goal of all of this is that we might be presented to God perfect, or other words, mature in our relationship with Christ. Did you catch that? Paul said, I go through what I go through that I, that I might present you to Christ perfect in your relationship with Christ, that you would become perfect. 
That word perfect means to mature, that we would reach a fullness to a place of maturity, that this is the goal or the cause uh, for this, this whole thing. And, and this is what the, the goal that causes him to participate in the sufferings of Christ for the church. Notice he said, I participate in Christ's sufferings. And all of this is that you might mature, that you might grow, that this might be for you. And he is not suffering the sufferings of Christ for our salvation because when we suffer with Christ, we don't suffer for salvation because Jesus already paid that price. When I suffer, it's not for salvation. Jesus paid the price once and for all for my salvation. But when I suffer with Christ, it's not for salvation, it's for spiritual maturity. When I suffer with Christ, it's the natural. Let me tell you this. Suffering is the natural response or the natural expectation of kingdom people. That when you pursue the kingdom of God, you must expect suffering. I know it's not a famous word. You cannot be kingdom-minded and expect to have no concern or issues or difficulty in this life. You will face opposition when you pursue the kingdom. You will face struggle, struggle and difficulty. He said troubles and things that he faces, that this becomes the response, that the sufferings of the church are for the maturity of the church. In order for the church to grow, it must go through suffering. In order for the church to grow, and I don't mean church in size, I mean church in health, in maturity. When we become healthy, things naturally grow. We will never take an approach of how to have church growth in numbers. We will always take the approach of how do we make disciples and reach people to reach their purpose. Because if we make disciples and reach people to reach their purpose, growth happens. Because how many know healthy things naturally grow? Unhealthy things naturally decay. So let me ask you today, spiritually, are you healthy or unhealthy? Is your relationship with Jesus Christ deepening? Is there this maturing process that suffering is a natural part of pursuing the kingdom of God on this earth? Have you ever had someone, and you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but y'all have thought this, and you have thought this, that when something bad happens in someone's life, you're like, man, I wonder what they did to deserve that. Don't admit it. Sometimes we associate things can I tell you that suffering is sometimes because the enemy knows there's something great and significant and he'll do whatever he can because he does, he's in charge. He is the prince of this air, of this darkness. I'm not getting into it today, but there is a spiritual stronghold over our nation of mental disorder. There's a mental disorder that is, that is plaguing our nation. Has it always been there? There's always been realms of it. But we have now heightened that. Why? Because we have given the enemy a foothold. We have given territory over to the enemy. I'm declaring you today, the enemy's fight is against us, but he's not taking Fayette County. Where there is a church and there's a body of Christ, not just faith assembly, but the kingdom of God, that we will not give a foothold to the enemy, that our God is greater, that he will prevail, and the gates of hell will not come against the work that Jesus Christ is setting in order. He just needs a church who won't give up. He needs a church who will allow the spirit of God, the presence of God, to get anchored inside of them. To allow Jesus to go deeper inside of us. There is this process of suffering. Listen to what James said. James, the brother of Jesus. He said, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of many kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
If you're like me, I hate that verse. I mean, if I'm just being honest, but when I know the value of it, when I know the value of what I'm walking through, I know I can hold on because I have hope. Why? Because I know that my hope is high, that it's in Christ, and he will accomplish something for his glory. He said, when you walk through these things, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. How many are ready to grow in 2020? Get ready. You're going to face some opposition. You know you're not stepping into that position and everything's just going to open up to you. That you're going to step into that position and there's opposition that's going to come to you. But the one who lives inside of you is going to give you all that you need to answer the questions, to move in the order, to step forward. That it will not be in your own strength, but only by the strength of the one who dwells on the inside of us. It will not be easy, but it will be possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside of us. If we want to know the power of God, get ready to face the opposition of the enemy. You don't need power if there's no opposition. You don't need faith if there's nothing to step over. You don't need to persevere if there's nothing to pull you down. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, listen, then you'll be perfect. There's that word. Perfect and complete, needing nothing. You'll mature. Here's the process of maturing. The process of maturing is facing, is facing sufferings, things that we go through. Paul rejoices in suffering as a means of spiritual influence. That's what he says. He says here, I'm suffering for you. When I suffer, it's for the benefit of the church. Can I tell you today, the church is only as healthy as the people who attend it. So because of your contribution, how healthy are we? You say, well, you're putting too much pressure on. That's the pastor. Oh, you better believe the pastor has to set the course. And be careful if you're going to step in leadership that you have greater responsibility. Absolutely. Trust me, I know. I've been carrying this mantle for 20 years, nine years now. And nine years ago, the mantle got heavy, and I said, oh, God, I don't know if I want to do this. Because it's a weight. It's a mantle. But you know what? I say more and more every year, God. This is for your glory. God, what you want to accomplish. I don't want to just do what's been done. God, I want to see your glory. And the hope of glory is allowing you to get, to live deeper and deeper on the inside of me. Guess what? Jesus will always give you an out. He'll always give you an out. You don't have to suffer. And I still believe you can make it to heaven. I, I don't know to what level. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's the heart. It's the heart. You can kick cruise control and still make it to heaven. But what you'll find there won't be as much for his glory as if you stepped into the opposition and stepped into faith and held on to hope and persevered. Anybody want to persevere? Anybody want to see his glory? Anybody want to see his kingdom advance? This isn't for the faint of heart. This isn't, you know, read a couple verses, say a little prayers, keep doing what you've always done, and boom, voila. No, this is a why he said the struggle. Take up your cross daily. Deny your flesh. There is a suffering and a struggle that goes in this, that there's times, guess what part of that flesh has been? The moments that I've had to learn when I want to respond a certain way, I bite my tongue and I sit in silence and let the Lord go before me. How many know that suffering? Some of us can just start right there. We can suffer by putting 
putting ourselves in a place of, of not our world around us, but in a place of learning how to hold our tongue, learning how to respond in a way that would honor God, that some of that is suffering. Because how many know when your anger wants to rise and you have to keep it under control, how many know you're suffering? When you want to say, blah, 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 but you hold it back, how many know that is suffering? Until you mature to a place where you don't suffer the same way you used to because now you don't have an issue with blah, 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 blah. Because the Lord has become deeper in your heart and now you've got more control over that. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? And we need a church that matures. We need a church that moves to another place. We need a church that doesn't exist in the place that it's been but matures. Are you maturing? Do you see the value of having a relationship with Jesus Christ or do you just exist? I hope you're hearing the love that's inside of all of this. That there's a love, and I love you, but I love Jesus even more. I love the bride. The bride is beautiful. It's a wonderful bride. But oh, the groom, to set eyes on him who gave himself freely, who gave all. Guess what? I've seen the value of what the groom has done, and I can't wait to see the beauty of what he wants to produce from the bride because of how beautiful and wonderful he is. That we would see his glory. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this today, that when we mature, we not only mature for ourselves, but we advance the kingdom of God. This church will only be as healthy. You know the hardest thing of pastoring is you can only take people where they want to go. I said to my son, we had, a, we had one of those father-son talks recently. He's, a, he's an adult now. And I said, Jaron, I knew what my job was when, I was when I'm parenting. My job is to get you to 18. And when you're 18, you're on your own. I've influenced and I've sculpted, I've made decisions, I've helped you, and now you're 18. And it's your job. The hard part with pastoring is I don't know where 18 is. My job being your pastor is I don't know where 18 is. I don't know when you've reached, I don't know. I know when my kids are 18. They've turned 18 and now I have expectations of them into which they can't lean on me anymore because I've said, hey, this is yours now. You have to own this. You have to carry this. This is your responsibility. The hard part of pastoring is I don't know where 18 is. I don't know when we get it. I don't, I, what I mean by that is when it becomes our own. Because this pastor sometimes carries the weight of, why don't they come to church? Why aren't they here? Why, what is wrong? Why, what am I not doing right? This isn't a pity session. This is me just saying, God, I don't know where 18 is. I don't know where it is to say, come on, you got you to embrace this. You got to grab it. You got to make it a part of your own. You got to run with it. Because if it doesn't become part of your own, it can never be yours. It'll always be your parents, your pastor, someone else. It'll always be someone else that you lean upon. But notice what Paul says, I suffer depending on the Holy Spirit inside of me. There's a maturity that happens. Let me give you number two. Number two is hope is revealed by our responsibility. It's hope is, is, is marked by our maturity. It's revealed by responsibility. Responsibility is what you're trusted to do, to do with something you've been given. Do you know the hope that we have in Jesus is something of great value? How many believe that the hope that we have in Jesus is something of great value? What are we doing with what we perceive and say has great value? Paul said he had this responsibility 
to proclaim the gospel to everybody, to proclaim the message. He calls it a mystery, that this message, it's a mystery, and it's been kept, but it's been revealed piece by piece. But now it has been revealed through Jesus. Paul said it was a secret. You've been given something special. Can I tell you? Listen to what Hebrews says. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through his son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Here's what I want you to hear. Notice, we, God is revealed to us through Jesus. How many catch that? The mystery is, clo- is no longer a mystery. The secret is revealed. It's Jesus living inside of us. The prophets, David, Moses, all of those before, held on to a promise while it was still a mystery. It's no longer a mystery. Christmas came. Jesus showed up. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. How many know it's no longer a mystery? Here's my question. The way Moses handled the promise and the hope when it was still a mystery, how are we handling it now, the church of today, when it's no longer a mystery? Wouldn't you think that when it was a mystery, it was hard to hold on? But now that it's a revelation, it should be easier to hold on? You would think that but we still fight the same issue. My point is this, what are we doing with the revelation of who Jesus is? Are we knowing him intimately and closely? We have this responsibility, this responsibility that it's Jesus. Are you falling in love with Jesus? Are we falling in love with Jesus, with knowing who he is? Listen, I want you to see, Paul said this secret. He called it a secret because he's speaking to Greeks. And the Greeks knew that there were secret societies and secret orders. There were only things you could know if you were in the inn. If you were a part of that class or a part of that group, it was a secret. So now Paul is saying, guess what? The secret's out. Paul is using their words to say, hey, the secret's out. And the secret is this, that Jesus wants to dwell inside of your heart. This is the secret. To know him intimately. To know him closely. To know him in this way that this revelation are we in this relationship with Jesus? How are we handling this relationship, this responsibility that Jesus has given us? That we have to be responsible with this. If the prophets waited for something and handled it with responsibility, how much more should we carry with responsibility what has now been revealed? This was a promise hoped for. We now live in a promise revealed. How many are following me this morning? We no longer hope he'll come. He's already come. His name is Jesus. The hope of the world is wrapped up in Jesus. To know him intimately. Let me give you the last thing. The worship team is going to come and help us close this morning. That is this, that if we're going to have hope, what's hope look like? It's, It's marked by maturity. It's revealed by responsibility, how we handle, how responsible we are with this truth of of holding on to Jesus. And then lastly, hope is practiced personally. I use this word intently here, practice. Because how many know if we don't practice what we believe, then we probably don't really believe what we think we believe. How many know faith without works is dead? 
are we practicing this personal relationship with Jesus? He makes the message personal, and here's what he says. The secret is this, Christ lives in you. Would you ask yourself right now, not out loud, does Christ live in me? Is Christ living in me? Or is he my neighbor? Is he within my community, but not yet moved inside my home? I have an acquaintance with him. I visit his house every now and again. But he's said, I want to make my home inside of you. We hear this in little kids. I remember one time, does Jesus, where does Jesus live? And if you grew up in church, you might know this. You ask a little kid, and if they grew up in Sunday school, where does Jesus live? In my heart. <laughs> I haven't learned how to say there are yet, and it's cute. But Jesus living in my heart, you say, why do we say that? What is that? Because of this scripture that's referenced here, that Jesus would dwell, that live inside of us that this hope would be alive inside of me. That what drives me, what moves me, is this hope of glory. That I have something of glory to share with him. I, has it become personal? Does Jesus live inside of you? And I, I want to close with this. The territory of your life will either be in residence by Jesus or by Satan. Ephesians chapter 4. The Bible says to be careful not to give the enemy or to give Satan a stronghold. Notice it said stronghold. Let me tell you why it said stronghold. Stronghold means to hold back what belongs to someone else. Do you know that you belong to Jesus because he created you in his image? He put his spirit inside of you. You belong to him. But when sin controls us, we have a stronghold. And now we're not walking in the fullness to which we've been created. You following me? You either have a stronghold of Satan or you have a house of God. Your life is either a stronghold of Satan or the house of God. Let, let, me, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 4. And I, I want to close with this this morning. That we would know this hope. And Ephesians chapter 4, there's some verses that we'll reference here, but... Here's what he says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Listen to what he says in verse 22. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. If you're here today, you've learned about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus, his love for you. He came in a manger. He died on the cross. And the purpose of all this is that he might live inside of you. That the hope of glory, Christ inside of you is the hope of glory. Why do I have hope? Not because I do good deeds. I have hope because Jesus lives inside of me. I have created and made a home for him inside my heart. I have given residency of my life over to Jesus. And when Jesus came in, he paid the price of what sin had the stronghold over. When there's a stronghold, that stronghold cannot be evicted until something greater comes in to overcome the stronghold. I'm telling you today, the one who is greater. The enemy has a stronghold over our lives. Don't be ignorant of even the stronghold that the enemy tries to get. Because I want you to hear this this morning. 
What I'm saying to God is, God, I don't want to move into 2020 with a stronghold. I want to move into 2020 with your presence, you being at home in my heart. Some of us, we belong to Jesus, but there's a part that we've given the enemy a foot. I've had to recognize, even from the time I've loved Jesus, known Jesus, I've, I'm one of those kids, grew up in the church, and known Jesus all my life. Had parents who showed me the love of Jesus the best they could. Wasn't void of issues that I had to overcome in my early adulthood, and because it's called life, we suffer. But when we do so with hope, we can overcome whatever's inside. Why? Because they're strongholds. But I've had to surrender those strongholds to Jesus and recognize I couldn't do anything to get victory. I could only receive the price that he paid to give me victory. I let him in. And the moment he moved in, that stronghold is broken. Why? Because he did a work on the cross and he paid a price with his blood. I saw the value of what my soul was worth to him. The value of what I'm worth to him. He gave his life on the cross. He died for my sins. When I see the value of what I'm worth to him, I open up my heart and I say, God, come in. Guess what he does? He says, I will. Paid in full. Stronghold broken. I will move in. And the only way to get rid of your dysfunction and your disorder is to let Jesus move in. There's no other way. To give room to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I'm surrendering this to you. Listen, he says, since we've learned of Jesus, throw off the old sinful nature and your former ways of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. I'm going to read this. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Oh, Jesus. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for, gen- for, for uh, use your hands to work hard, and then you'll generously give to others in need. Don't be a taker, be a giver. Let Jesus be at home in your heart. Guess what? Jesus can break the cycle of poverty over this county when we give him residency in our hearts. We won't have to worry about who's going to give, 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 give. We'll know that God is our provider and we can become those who are not are the ones who have to get, get, get. But now we get to give to be a part of. And let me tell you, that will break the cycle of poverty in this county. Can I tell you why there's a cycle? There's a cycle of poverty. Side note. I'm going to say it. Because within our area, it's all over the nation, but we're talking right here. The purpose has not become deeper to know Jesus. It's been to be his hands and feet. That's okay. But here's unfortunately within the cycle of poverty, those who need look to those who have, and those who have look to those in need to find their purpose. Oh, come on, come on, come on. 
That right there, listen to me. Those who need, look to those who have. And those who have, look to those in need to find their purpose. And there becomes this cycle because those who need, look to those who have. And those who have, find their purpose by giving to those in need. And we just keep a cycle that moves. But those who have, their purpose is not found in serving people. Their purpose is found in serving the heart of the king. And as they do, it breaks the cycle. And I'm telling you, the cycle gets broken by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that comes in. It will not happen by a work of man. It will only happen by the power of God's Spirit. Mental illness will not happen by medicine alone. I'm not saying it's wrong. If you're on medication, you should continue with medication. But medication will not heal you. It is only the work of the Holy spirit that breaks the cycle and breaks the yoke and the bondage of sin. It's only when we let Jesus become more at home in our hearts. Am I saying medicine has no place? Absolutely not. I'm saying medicine will just keep you in a cycle but when you know Jesus, maybe with medicine, it'll break the cycle and you'll become set free. It breaks the cycle. I'm not saying it's without medicine. I'm saying with Jesus, the cycle gets broken. But if all you have is medicine, you just get stuck in the cycle. If all you have is everything you're trying to fix, you get stuck in a cycle. Can I tell you, this church is on the cusp of getting stuck in a cycle. But I declare we are breaking the stronghold of poverty over this county. And we're not staying in the place where we've been. If you don't want to come with me, I'll go without you. I'm going to move in a place where God wants to set. Because poverty will be broken. Disorder, dysfunction will be broken. God will reign over this county. Fayette County belongs to Jesus. Settle down, Jason. What are you doing? Looking like a fool. Looking like a fool. Church, I'm telling you as your pastor, I can only take you. I don't know where 18 is. I don't know where 18 is. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying, and I'm not saying this out of woe is me. I'm just saying can't stop to just keep the cycle would you tell somebody by you today something's got to break would you tell someone today something's got to break the cycle needs to break something practically might need to shift inside of your heart today here's what he says he says not letting anger have control live generously if you steal stop stealing Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. How many times have we allowed negative words to come out of our mouth and dissension? And when we've done that, church, hear me. I'm your pastor. I love you. But when we allow that according to the word of God, we've given a stronghold to the enemy. We've said to the enemy, we'll let you have this territory. We'll just stay in a cycle. Instead of saying who the sun sets free is free indeed. That I'm going to allow the, 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 the possession of my heart to be turned over to Jesus. enough of that settle down I feel this so strong in my spirit that if we let it happen strongholds are falling off in a quick moment dissension falling like that can I tell you here here's what and by the way this is the same chapter that goes on and says do not grieve the Holy Spirit or quench or grieve the Holy Spirit Now, being a pastor, I've had people tell me, oh, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're not letting the Spirit move. 
Can I tell you what grieves the Holy Spirit is not how long we worship or what we do. What grieves the Holy Spirit is the attitude of your heart and the willingness to trust God and to speak truth according to God's word. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit. God doesn't care if we have 30 minutes of worship or if we have three hours of worship. What he cares is that our hearts are centered in him and we live according to what this truth says and we allow truth to come out of our mouth that we allow not not springs of warm water and cold water or fresh water and different water, salty water, but we allow the truth of God's word to come out of our mouth at every season, at every moment, at every point, at every place. This is the kind of church that will change things. So let me ask you, What needs to practically change in your life? What does knowing Jesus more in 2020 look like for you? For Jesus to become more at home in your heart, what does it look like in 2020? Can I give you some of us? Maybe for some of us, it's to take control of the words that are coming out of our mouths. It's a practical place of making home for the Lord. Maybe for some of us, some of us, instead of giving foothold to anger, do you know how unreasonable anger is? Do you know how you cannot reason with angry people? I demonstratively say I'm in control and blah. Okay, you're in control. You know what I say to that person? You think you're in control, so be in control wherever you want to be in control. But as for me and my house, this house is controlled by the Spirit of the Lord. And God will have control. You're not going to have control in here. God's going to have control. We're not going to give way to disorder. We're going to give way to the truth of what God's Word says. words of edification for some of us forgiveness some of us allowing healing what does 2020 need to look like for you to let Jesus become deeper and deeper in your heart today how many say Jesus I want you to be at home if that's your desire